0: We're going to be in John chapter 11. So you can turn to your Bibles to John chapter 11. We're going to talk about how to find true freedom. How to find true freedom. And we're going to be introduced to a man named Lazarus. Everyone say Lazarus. 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 In John chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 38. We're going to read to verse 44. We'll pray and dive into it. Does that sound good? Are you awake? If you're in John chapter 11, say, I'm there. there. All right. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 38. Let's read God's word together. God's word says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, or other translations say a stench. Everyone say stench. By this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we do thank you for freedom. And Lord, we know that we're the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and so God we invite you in your presence into this room right now we pray Lord that your word would come alive and speak directly to our hearts for we know that it is living and powerful and father I pray for those that may be in this room today that have grown up or, or maybe they've even attended to ch- attended church for years or decades and they've known about you but they've never known you personally They've never experienced the life that you have for them. Father, I pray that today that those who do not know you would go from death to life. And I pray for those that do know you, but are bound. Maybe they're bound by addiction. They're bound by sin. They're bound by the approval of others, affirmation. Maybe they're bound by their self, Lord, and serving themselves. Father, I pray that in this room, that there would be freedom today. Father, we invite you once again, and in Jesus' name, your church said, amen. The Declaration of Independence famously says these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, liberty, And the pursuit of happiness. Political freedom we have in this country. A great joy that we get to experience. But the reality is that there are many who lack personal freedom. If I was to ask a group of people if they truly have experienced life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness, it's likely many would say they don't know what that actually means. They don't experience that on a personal level. We know this, when it comes to life, there was a recent study done in June, some 20 million adults, 10% of all adults in this country, report that their household sometimes or often doesn't have enough to eat in the last seven days. When it comes to liberty, the indent movement that is focused on ending human trafficking around the world, they say that there are 40 million people enslaved today in sex trafficking. And in the U.S., California is the leading state in human trafficking with over 1,500 cases in re- reported in 2019. But those are just reported cases. There are most cases go unreported. When it comes to the pursuit of happiness, we know that the rate of moderate to severe depression rose from 23.2% to 41.1% from 2000 to 2018. People across our nation are hungry, hungry, There are many that do not experience life and liberty on a personal basis. And there are many that are actually the opposite of experiencing happiness. We know that Gen Z has been labeled the most depressed generation that has ever lived. Well, today there's good news. Not only do we have political freedom, but Jesus offers personal freedom. And today we're going to look at what it means to be free or how to find freedom. But before we get to what freedom is, I want to talk about where true freedom is found. I want to talk about Jesus. Here in our account, in the life of Jesus, we see the miracle of Lazarus rising from the dead. This account is only recorded in the Gospel of John. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts recording the life of Jesus. Well, we know that the book of John was written that you may believe. And so here we have one of the most incredible, incredible miracles of Jesus recorded in John chapter 11. And in this miracle, we see where true freedom is found. Pick up with me in verse 38. We see Jesus is deeply moved and he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. By this point in time, four days earlier, Jesus received a message by two faithful disciples. You may have been introduced to them before, Mary and Martha. They were Jesus's followers. They were two women that served Jesus, that traveled with Jesus, that worshiped Jesus. And Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was sick. And so Mary and Martha sent a short message to Jesus. Jesus was in a town just a few miles away. And they send a message to Jesus. We read it in the beginning of the chapter. In verse 2, we read, Them say to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. That's it. A short little text message to Jesus. A short message. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Speaking of Lazarus, their brother. Lazarus was also a follower of Jesus. One of the beloved. Lazarus would, would also follow along and was a disciple of Jesus. But by this point, Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha are concerned. And so they ask Jesus for help. But after receiving this message from Mary and Martha, he waits for four days. He doesn't turn in haste to go and perform a miracle, but he waits there for four days. And within those four days, Lazarus dies. Their brother, a disciple of Jesus, one of the beloved of Jesus, is dead. And we pick up in our story, Martha and Mary are certainly, understandably, they are disappointed. And it's interesting to note here in this account in the life of Lazarus that Martha and Mary, when Jesus arrives onto the scene, they say the same exact statement to Jesus. Martha says at first there in verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Just moments later, When Jesus encounters Mary, Mary says the same exact thing there in verse 32. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary say the same exact statement, a statement with disappointment, a statement with still faith, saying if Jesus had been there, then he would have been healed from his sickness. Yet I want you to focus in on Jesus's response to Martha and Mary. Because Jesus's response to them is much different. But I believe as we see where true freedom is found, we're going to see who Jesus is in these two responses. Consider first Jesus's response to Martha. When Martha comes up to him, she says there in verse 21, let's read it again. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world." Here we see, in Jesus' response to Martha, we see truth. Jesus responds to Martha, "Your brother is going to rise again. I am the resurrection and the life." This claim was a bold, bold claim. Jesus here in his response to Martha was claiming deity. He was claiming that he is in fact God, that he is the I am. As the resurrection and the life, he is saying, I am the one who is able to give life and take life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will have life. Jesus is making a claim to deity to her. And at first, to be honest with you, imagine for a second the loss of a loved one. Many of you have, and you, you come to Jesus, and it's just almost like a cold truth. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and life. There's this truth to, to Martha. It almost seems cold. It's, it's true. Jesus is claiming to be God, but it's just truth. And, and he's opening up her eyes to who he is. The truth that Jesus is, in fact, God in human flesh. You see, it's statements like these that our current culture does not like. Our current culture likes the Jesus who heals the sick. Our current culture likes the Jesus who feeds the poor. Our current culture likes the Jesus that houses the widow. But our current culture does not like the Jesus who claims to be God. And this instance was not the only instance in in the gospel accounts where Jesus claims to be God. Jesus very explicitly, clearly says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' claim to deity is something that most people get held up on. They like Jesus, but they don't like Jesus as God. Well, listen today. Where true freedom is found is understanding that Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus is God. The divinity of Jesus. This is who he is. And this is his response to Martha. He's revealing his deity. I am the resurrection life. It is truth. But his response to Mary was much different. Notice Jesus' response to Mary. We find Mary weeping in verse 32. And in verse 32, we read this. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And there's the famous verse, Jesus wept. On Jesus's response to Martha, we see Jesus revealing his divinity, the truth of who he is. In Jesus' response to Mary, we see Jesus revealing his humanity. That Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. Our God is not a God that is far off and distant and apathetic. No, our God is a sympathetic God. He mourns with those who mourns. He weeps with those who weep. He is God in human flesh, but he is also man. A hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Tim Keller, in his book, Encounters with Jesus, says it this way. First speaking about Jesus' encounter with Martha, he says that the flow of Martha's heart is toward despair. But Jesus is pushing against that flow. He's rebuking her doubt and giving her hope. Then he sees Mary, who says exactly the same thing. But this time, his response is the complete opposite. Instead of pushing against the flow of her heart's sadness, he enters it. How beautiful. Our God enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. This is why he came in the flesh. He came as a man acquainted with grief and full of sorrow. This is who our God is. He is a hundred. Jesus is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. He is all powerful and all knowing, yet he grieves, he weeps, and he mourns. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, speaking of Jesus, He, being, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Our God... Jesus, where true freedom is found, is both God and both man. 100% God and 100% man, which is what qualifies him to do this incredible miracle. Here, now, after weeping there with Mary, we pick up in verse 38. And Jesus is deeply moved again. In fact, those words up there in verse 33 that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled is that Jesus is actually infuriated with the situation. He's enraged by the evil and suffering in this world. As Lazarus is there at the grave and he's dead, he's weeping, he's crying, but then he is enraged at the evil and suffering. Will you understand today that God is against evil and suffering. He is not the source of evil and suffering. In fact, we know this, speaking of freedom, in the garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve, he gave humanity full freedom. Except you cannot do one thing, one forbidden fruit. But what did they do? They sacrificed all their freedom in an attempt for absolute freedom and they lost it all. They lost it all and sin and death, entered into the picture. And so here is God in human flesh and he's approaching the grave of a friend and he's deeply troubled. He's enraged at the evil and suffering in this world. And we see the mild and meek Jesus there weeping with Mary. Now he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's going boldly there to the grave. And he says those words. He cries out, Lazarus, come out. And we read there those incredible words that the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Here, the dead man came walking from death to life. And listen, if you're new to Jesus or maybe you've even gone to church for years, you need to understand that true freedom is found in Jesus, that Jesus is both God and man. And the reason that Jesus came was to make dead people live. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not come to make good people better. Jesus did not come to give you your best life now. Jesus came to make dead people walk. This is the reason that Jesus came. And here in this miracle of Lazarus, we actually have an illustration of the Christian life. You see, we are Lazarus in this story. According to Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says this. It says that God being rich in mercy because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The Bible tells us that we are like Lazarus. I call it the four D's of Ephesians chapter 2. Who we are or who we were or who you are if you're without Christ today. Number one, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. The Bible makes it explicitly clear that we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. Sin is to rebel against God and it has separated us from God who is the source of life himself. And as a result, we are now dead spiritually. Just as when a physical body dies, they are unable to respond to a physical stimulus, the spiritual body is dead, unable to respond to God spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. This is who we were or who you are. If you are without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The second thing is that you are disobedient. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read that we were disobedient following the course of this world and the course of the prince of the power of the air. There are many who, like William Ernest Henley, who say, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my own soul. Yet the Bible gives an entirely different perspective says, in fact, that we're disobedient from God and we're simply following the course of this world. The idea there in the language is like when a leaf is just blown around by the wind. So are we without Jesus. We may think we're in control, but we're just following the course of this world. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're disobedient. And therein, thirdly, we're disillusioned. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you know what's interesting is that is the idea the culture gives of freedom. The culture's idea of freedom is a life without strengths. It's best summarized in the hit song by Elsa in the movie Frozen when she sings... It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. From the words of Elsa, hit it perfectly of what our culture thinks freedom is. But the Bible says is that's a delusion. It's a delusion that in fact, a life without restraints, you are being led and reigned by the own passions of your flesh. You're not actually in control. Can anyone ever relate You do something you didn't want to do, you didn't mean to do, you didn't need to respond in that way, yet you just do. We're disillusioned. We once lived according to the passions of our flesh. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 8. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The idea of practicing sin is habitual practice of sin, a lifestyle of sin. You are not free. You are, in fact, bound by sin. You are not in control. Your desires and your feelings, what the Bible refers to as the flesh, that is what is in control of your life. And so the Bible paints this picture that we were a lot like Lazarus in that grave. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, disobedient, disillusioned, and fourthly, we're in debt. We are children of wrath, Ephesians chapter two says. Children of wrath, our sin has separated us from God. And because we have broken off relationship with God, we've rebelled against God, we are deserving of a punishment. For the wages of sin is death. We're in deserving of wrath. The Bible refers to this as hell, a place of eternal judgment and separation from God. By the way, we send ourselves to hell when we reject God. God's desires that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. But when we reject God and his gospel and his grace, we're saying, I want to do life in eternity without God. And God says, so be it. He's given us that choice. He's given us that freedom. We are children of wrath apart from God. But the good news is this. The good news is that true freedom is found in who? In Jesus. And just like Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus has called us. And if you do not know him today, he is calling you from death to life. Ephesians chapter two, after it says we're dead, we're disobedient, we're disillusioned. The verse was there on the screen. There's that divine intervention, but God who is rich In mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus calls us from death to life. He calls us from a life of sin to a life with him, a life with the Son. He gives us freedom from death to life. This is what Jesus offers us. And when we respond to this call, when we respond to God and the salvation, for the Bible says today is the day of salvation. When we respond to him and receive the gift of salvation, what happens is the Bible says we are justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous. Now this is incredible news because what this means is that we do not have to earn our way to God's kingdom. We do not have to prove ourselves. We don't need to work our way up to God's kingdom. But in fact, God came down to us. This is who he is. Tim Keller puts it this way, and again, his book, Encounters with Jesus. He points out that the founders of every major religion said, I'm a prophet who shows you how to find God. But Jesus taught, I'm God, come to find you. This is who Jesus is. I'm God, come to find you. And as we experience Jesus and go from death to life, we are declared righteous. We are washed by the blood of Jesus, not by our works, not by anything that we can do, but by what Jesus has done. Done what? Done where? At the cross. When Jesus died in our place, this is what qualified Jesus To bring Lazarus from death to life is that Jesus himself would go to the grave. He would die in the grave for our sin, for our shame. But then he would resurrect from the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. He offers us life. He offers us freedom. He offers us freedom from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. This is what justification is. To be declared righteous by God just as if I have never sinned. But I want you to notice this. In Jesus we have freedom from the penalty of sin. And you can be free from the penalty of sin. But you can still be in bondage to the power of sin. As a Christian, you can go from death to life. You can be justified. You can be declared righteous upon responding to the gospel and the grace of Jesus and receiving his gift of salvation. But then the thing is, is we come bound. Notice where true freedom is found in Jesus, but how to live truly free. We see this in verse 44. Read with me again in our text this morning. After... Jesus cries, Lazarus come out. We read there in verse 44 that the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, the death to life is an illustration of justification, but you need to notice this, that when Lazarus came out of the grave, he was what? He was still bound. He was bound with linen strips. He was wearing grave clothes. He was mummified in a sense. His face was covered. His hands were tied. His feet were tied. And this is how he comes out of the grave. But he comes out bound. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Let him free. This is an illustration of what the Bible refers to as sanctification. You see, you need to understand this. That Christianity is not simply a transaction. I respond and I go from death to life. I'm forgiven. Christianity is not simply a transaction. Christianity is transformation. The moment that we come to Jesus is not just a moment. Jesus desires for us to walk with him for a lifetime. And that lifetime of walking with Jesus is a process the Bible refers to as sanctification. Where God is unwrapping us from our old identity. Unwrapping us from the bondage and the power of sin. So that we can live freely with God. You know what's funny about Christian culture though? It's sometimes we forget this. Someone goes from death to life, and then many have what I call the poof mentality. My wife and I joke about this. The poof mentality is those that when we see someone go from death to life, then we're looking at them and we're like, why do they still talk like that? Why do they still dress like that? Why are they still hanging out with those people? The reality is when we go from death to life, it's not just a poof. In a moment, we're changed. No, it's a lifetime of transformation. We come to Jesus and we're still bound. We're alive in him, but we're bound by our sin. It reminds me of this story. Of, a few months ago, something really bad happened in the back home. In November, this is we've lived here for a year now. This is our first winter here in, uh, in Vista, California. And we live right next to this big open field. And I am going into my car to actually drive up to the Central Coast to officiate a wedding. And I walk into my car and it reeks. Like it smells bad. To be honest with you, I thought I'd left my wetsuit in my car too long. Which is really embarrassing. Don't leave your wetsuit in your car too long. It will smell bad. It was way worse than that. It was foul. Now my wife had mentioned about two weeks earlier... She's like, I hear something in the car. I feel like there's like a mouse in here or a rat in here. Well, when I get into the car that day, it smells so bad. I couldn't even drive that car. But what I had is I called up our interns. I had to go up to the Central Coast. That was the only car for my wife. So I'm like, listen, guys, I will pay you to find this thing and get this thing out of my car. That is, They search for hours. What they find is a rat this big. And it had been dead in there. I don't know how long, but just like Lazarus, there was a stench. Okay, it smelt bad. It was terrible. But this is the thing. When they removed the rat out of the car, the smell didn't go away. In fact, the smell stayed for months My wife tried to convince me to sell the car and buy a new car. She would not drive it for months. I had to drive that thing here and everywhere else. And she was in my little Honda Fit with the kids. She like would not get into the car. It smelled for months. And you need to understand this is that when it comes to a life with Jesus... Is that when we come to Jesus, he removes the sin and the penalty of sin from our life. But oftentimes there is still a stench that stays with us for years. This is why the world says they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, because we're still being unbound from the bondage of sin that's upon our life. We're being sanctified and set free and being transformed into the image of God. There's not a poof moment. No, Christianity is not a transaction. Christianity is transformation. It's a lifetime of change. Paul refers it to this. In Romans chapter 6, in fact, in the book of Romans, Paul spins from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 5, declaring and explaining justification that by faith in Jesus and his finished work, we are declared righteous. But in Romans chapter 6, he makes a pivot to talk about this work of sanctification. And when we're talking about sanctification, when we're talking about being unbound and being set free, you need to understand to be free is rooted in our identity. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. In verse 17, Pastor Paul says this. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. In verse 7, he says it this way. He says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ, we believe, We will also live with Him. You see, to live truly free as a Christian is to understand that through the cross, Jesus gave us access or freedom from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. That is the unbinding that takes place in our lives. It's the work of sanctification and it's rooted in our identity. Pastor Paul says you are no longer slaves of sin. You are no longer reigned by sin. Sin is no longer the king of your life. So when sin comes knocking, you don't have to answer. Jesus is now king of your life. You are now slaves of righteousness and you get to live freely with Him, and so we get to identify with Him. Just as Jesus died on the cross, we reckon our old man dead. We we are dead in our sin now, or we were dead in our sin before. Now we are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. This is the work of sanctification. So that sin, when it is creeping up inside of us, we can give it to God, we can say that is no longer who I am, but I am now a slave of righteousness. When sin and temptation creeps up, I can say I don't have to answer to you anymore. I get to answer to God and to live freely with him. You know, when it came to that that rat in the car, it took a lot of cleaning to get that stench out took a lot of cleaning. I actually, that whole weekend, I paid the interns to take it out and paid them to go straight to the car wash and do like a full detail on my car. Then I paid them another like month later to come back and do another deeper detail on my car to try to get the smell out. Well, listen to this. Jesus has provided a cleaning agent for us. And that cleaning agent is the person of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is, he cleans us from the inside out. As we rest in our identity, we are no longer under condemnation. We're set free from sin. We don't have to listen to sin anymore. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. And now the work of the Holy Spirit can work in our lives. He will clean us up from the inside out. Charles Stanley says it like this. He says that the message of the cross is freedom from sin, both its penalty and power. While it is true, we'll always be temptable. It is not that we must give into temptation. Jesus offers freedom from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. What does this look like? Well, Paul makes reference in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says it like this. He says, put off the old man and put on the new man. That idea is like changing your clothes. It's changing your identity. It's putting off that old label that was on you. That old desire that's creeping up within you. It is to put off that old things that defined us by what we did. Now we are defined by whose we are. We no longer belong to that old life. We belong to Christ. We get to put off that life of sin and shame and we get to put on Christ Jesus. That idea there in the language of putting on is like sinking into clothes, sinking into lounger. We get to rest in the new self. The old things have passed away. The new is to come. We're now created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This idea is there displayed in the life of Lazarus. Unbound from the grave clothes of sin. Now he gets to walk freely with Jesus in the like manner as we've gone from death to life. We get to put off the old self and to put on Christ and walk freely with him. Experiencing abundant life. You may be here today, you might say, well, Tyler, that's really difficult. I understand that I've been set free from the penalty of sin. I understand in the head that I've been set free from the power of sin, but I still feel bound. I do not feel as if I am living freely. Well, you need to understand the key to freedom. The key to freedom is this. The key to freedom is sacrifice. Sacrifice is the key to freedom. We were set free by Jesus and his sacrifice there on the cross. It was by his sacrifice and by his shed blood that we were forgiven of our sin and set free from the penalty of sin. We get to live now with God. It was his sacrifice that was the key to our freedom. And in the like manner for those of you that may be free, you may have gone from death to life, but you still feel bound by sin. Sacrifice is still the key. And Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, brothers, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Sacrifice is the key to freedom. As we present ourselves, we don't need to have it all together. We don't need to work our way into freedom. But as we bow our way to God, as we bow our heart, as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, now we're putting ourselves in a posture where he is able to renew our mind and transform us into his image. Now we can experience the true freedom that is now in Christ as we're in a posture of surrender. With that, I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to take a moment to respond. We're going to take a moment to to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We're going to receive communion together on either side of the stage. I'm going to invite the prayer counselors to come up. They'll be available for prayer. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond if you are not or you have not experienced true freedom today. Listen, there's good news. True freedom is found in Jesus Both God and man, he came on a rescue mission for you. And my favorite verse, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. It was by his sacrifice that we are able to be set free from sin. What do you have to do? Nothing. You simply must respond to God. Jesus has made a way. And if you are here today and you've never responded to Jesus before, I believe that the spirit of God is making it very clear to you that he is calling you from death to life. And like Lazarus, all you have to do is respond and come out of that grave. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to him right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this freedom. We thank you for the cross and your sacrifice. And Father, I pray for those that are in this room today that you are calling from death to life, You are calling them out of their life that is full of sin and full of shame and full of hopelessness. Father, I pray that you would place faith in their hearts to respond to you. Would you melt their hearts by your grace and by your love right now? And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here in this room, And you would confess, I do not know what it means to be truly free. You would confess and say, I've been living a life of sin and I want to be rescued from Jesus. I want to experience this freedom in life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to just raise up your hand to God and say, that's me. God bless you. Anyone else? Raise up your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. As you're raising your hand to God, you're just saying, God, that's me. I want this rescue. I want to go from death to life. I want this freedom that you're talking about. If that's you. Just raise up your hand to God in an attitude and a posture of saying, God, that is me. God bless those of you with your hands raised. For those of you with your hands raised, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to understand that this prayer doesn't save you, that your hand being raised does not save you. It is God who saves you. It is Jesus who rescues you. But I believe that this prayer is is words to put into your mouth of what God is doing in your heart. And as you respond on the outside, it becomes all the more real to what God is doing on the inside. So those of you that raise your hand, would you simply pray this prayer an invitation to Jesus? Would you say, dear Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for me. Forgive me of my sin. Give me your life. I desire to be free With you, And in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a round of applause for those that prayed that prayer, that raised their hand. Listen, we want to welcome you to the family of God. I'm going to invite the counselors to come up. There's going to be some people on both sides of the stage, and they would just love to pray with you. Those of you that raised up your hand, they would love to give you a Bible. But right now, I'm going to invite you to all stand to your feet right now. And we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to take a moment to receive communion, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want to give this last encouragement. There's a lot to celebrate today, the freedom that we have in Jesus. But some of you may be here and you're like, I cannot celebrate because I still feel bound. Listen, Jesus desires to do an unbinding in your life. Would you surrender to him? Whatever that is in your mind or your heart, would you bow that before the Lord? Would you say, God, I want to surrender this? And wait, it takes time. Remember, Christianity is not a transaction. It's a transformation. But as we surrender and we're in that posture of surrender before God, God would renew and God would break the bondage and the power of sin so that we can live freely with him. So during this time, as we worship the Lord, as we sing praises to him, When I get down from the stage, you guys are welcome to go up to receive communion, to receive it in your seat. Take the elements. Remember the sacrifice. And if you feel bound and you need prayer tonight, I want to this morning, I want to encourage you to come up to our prayer counselors and just ask them to pray for you. Because Jesus said this, it is for freedom that he set you free. He desires that you would be free with him. Amen, church. All right. Let's worship the Lord.